0: This is the message for Sunday, May 24th, 2020. Fact is always stranger than fiction. Uh, I've been doing this 20 years and absolutely have never preached before an absolutely, totally empty auditorium. So we'll see how this goes. I'm actually quite excited about what the Lord has given me, and I trust that you'll be able to process it even through this (laughs) way of doing things in that his spirit will speak powerfully to your soul. Uh, I would encourage you, there's no PowerPoint, obviously, today, so I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be basically three places uh, for a brief time in Matthew chapter 5, and then uh, for a time in Philippians chapter 3, and then in 1 John chapter 3 is where we'll close it out. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump right in. Our series is Hope Floats. We're looking for some hope, and our message today is pure hope. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak even through the, the hurdles and hindrances that we have. There's no visuals today, uh, but you can, you can speak to us in your still small voice in giant ways and I pray that you would do so. Father, use this. This is such an important message. And I pray that, that people would hear it, that people would take it in, that it would change hearts and lives, and that it would change mine as well. Father, we need your pure hope today. It needs to be pure. The more purity, the more hope. And so accomplish that work in us, and, and we thank you for the possibility of it. And the completion of it in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to just kind of look at that in, in, uh, in an umbrella fashion today. Because I want to I point something out. It's only after, I think it's verse 3, poverty of spirit. Say poverty. Poverty. And it's only after after poverty comes sorrow over sin. Say sorrow. And only after that comes humility over our sense of helplessness. Say humility. We have poverty, sorrow, humility. And only after that do we have hunger, a hungering after righteousness. Say hunger. And only after that do we have mercy toward others say mercy. We have poverty, sorrow, humility, hunger, mercy, and only after all those deep qualities do we approach purity. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Say purity, pure. The word in the Greek is katharas, and in Strong's, it means clear, clean, pure. And from that word, katharas, we get our word cathartic, which when we say, oh man, that was so cathartic to go to, go to that counseling session or something like that. Cathartic, according to Encarta, means producing a feeling of being purified emotionally, spiritually, or psych- psychologically. But another aspect of purity that has probably impacted me most through the years is the realization, it's really quite simple, that when something is pure, there is only one thing present. Say that with me, one thing present. When there's only one thing present, it's pure. Pure gold is only gold, one thing present. Pure water is only water. There's no debris, no sand, no grit, no extra chemicals, pure H2O, H2O, pure water. And when marriages are pure, pure marriages, when there's only one union, only one person. So remember that purity is one thing present. So that being the case, that pure is one thing present. When we talk about a pure heart, remembering that the heart When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not that that pump in your chest that pushes blood. The heart is the seat of both your thoughts and your emotions, your thinking and your feeling. We We could consider a pure heart this way there's one predominant thought with one predominant desire, and they both coincide. One thought, one want that motivates, that inspires, that directs, that even even drives a person. So if, if it's true that purity is when there's one thing present, I want to ask this question, what is that one thing of a pure heart? What's that one thing of a pure heart? And when I ask that question in my mind, I immediately think of the Apostle Paul. To me, probably Paul in the New Testament and Daniel in the Old Testament would be, to me, the best examples of a pure heart. One thought, one desire. And I remembered that there's a place in Scripture where Paul actually reveals to us what that one thing is in his pure heart. He talks about it. He puts it out there for us to chew on, to think about, to observe. And that place is our second passage today. It's Philippians 3. And it's verse 13 and 14 is where we're going to start in this chapter. And let's just read it together and I think you'll see it. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He tells his Philippian readers. I wonder what it is. He goes on, but one thing I do forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, Paul, what is it? What is the goal? What is the prize? What's the, the one thought? What's the one desire of a pure heart? And note Paul's one thing, pure heart is the prize for which God has called him. So Paul's one thing is God's one thing, too, for Paul. Paul's one thing is the same thing that God called him to. One could say it's God's will for Paul. Paul wants the one thing that God wants. They're on the same page. If we could know... This morning, that pure heart, one thing that Paul's talking about here for him, I think it would help us immensely. I know it would me. And the cool thing is that Paul doesn't hide it. He doesn't hide the object of his pure heart. He tells you flat out what his one thing is. So let's go there. Let's back up in Philippians chapter 3 to verse 7. Here's what he says. But whatever was to my prophet... Paul's relaying his former life before he came to know Christ. Whatever that was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything, everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them trash, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Listen to me now. Paul's pure of heart, one thing was to know Christ. To know Christ. He says it again in verse 10, Philippians 3, 10, 11. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Don't miss that last part because that's where this pure heart thing moves it toward hope the resurrection from the dead now with that in mind that Paul's one thought and one desire of his heart was to know Christ let's let's reread verses 13 and 14 remember brothers i do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it knowing christ but one thing i do forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead i press on toward the goal of knowing Christ, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, which is to know Christ. Brothers and sisters, can I say to you this morning that that God saved you and he brought you into relationship with himself so that you could know Christ. And when you have the one thought and the one desire to know Christ, then your heart is pure. Pure. And your hope in Christ is magnified to its true immensity and joy in your life. Let me say that again. When you have the one thought and one desire to know Christ, then your heart is pure. And your hope in Christ is magnified to its true immensity and joy in your life. And not only that... But you're doing life according to the will of God. That good, pleasing, and perfect will, Romans 12, 2 says. And your soul is like unto the soul of Jesus Christ himself, a pure heart. There is only one thing present, one thought, one desire, or want, and that's to know Christ. Believe it or not, our text for today is not Philippians 3. It's actually 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Let's go there now and read what John has to say about pure hope. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Listen for it now. You ready? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then verse three, here it is. Everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself, just as he, Jesus Christ, is pure. We're going to look down through this passage. Basically, I got four quick points here. Let's take a look at, number one, lavish love. Number two, conflicting consequences of that love. So we got lavish love, and then we got conflicting consequences of that love. Then we have immediate and imminent, immediate and imminent, and all the way to the climax of pure hope. Four points. Father, reveal it to us. Let's look at lavish love. 1 John 3.1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, present tense right now. Folks, if you know Christ, you're a child of God. I want you to think of our modern concept of adoption for a minute. This is, this is what this verse is talking about is way more than that. For example, when, when Bonnie and I adopted Justin into our family, the only thing we actually gave him at that time was our last name he began to wear our name. But when God saves and adopts a human being, you and I as his children, he gives us way more than his name. He gives us his actual presence, his spirit to live in us. So it's, it's adoption plus to the nth degree. Ephesians 1.5 says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Folks, To forgive us our sins is one thing. To live in us and with us, to do my life with me, that is amazing love and relationship. That the God of the universe wants to live my life with me, in me, for his glory and my good, is lavish love just beyond amazing Relish that today, grip that today, get a grip on that. It is is total deception that would keep any person in the world from getting on board with that. But they don't. Jesus described it as the broad road versus the narrow road, and most choose the broad road, few choose the narrow road. And it's narrow to surrender to Christ. Christ. Because that lavish love puts us in a place of, in the place of our second point, which is conflicting consequences. Church, when you live in this world, there are consequences to receiving the lavish love of God. Look at it. That's where John goes next. Still in verse 1, the latter part of the verse, one b says this. The reason that the world does not know us those who have received Christ's lavish love, is that it did not know him. Folks, we are lavishly loved by a God the world does not see, the world does not understand, the world does not believe in or approve of. They stand in judgment over the holy God of the Bible as a genocidal maniac in the, New, in the Old Testament and a divine child abuser in the New Testament. The God who created them for his purpose and for their good is judged by those whose very bodies are sustained and held together by his power and wisdom. They live every day under the flow of his common grace and stubbornly refuse his love. So the consequences of receiving Jesus' lavish love the consequences for you and me puts us in conflict with the unbelieving world. Jesus warned his disciples of this just before he went to the cross in John 15. He said this in verse 18. If the world hates you, you've got to keep in mind, guys, that it hated me first. See, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. As it is, I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So, guys, remember, remember the words I spoke to you that no servant's greater than his master. Remember that. See, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also, and a few will. They're going to treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. The same John that wrote 1 John chapter 3 heard Jesus speak those very words. And so he writes in 3.1b of 1 John, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So, believers at MRCC Church, here we are in this world, during this physical life, believers who are lavishly loved by God, and we're like, out of place we don't buy in we don't fit in we live in this sort of in between space as children of God in a world of orphans and that's a tough space to fill how do we do it how do we live as the odd man out in the world well Here's how we do it. We embrace both the immediate and imminent. That's point three, immediate and imminent. Imminent means, folks, it just means it's about to happen. If something is imminent, it's about to happen. First John 3, 2, listen to what John writes. Dear friends, now, say now. Dear friends, now, here's what the situation is. Right now, we are children of God. That's immediate. Now, the Spirit of God is here. He is here in this place. He is in me. He is in you if you know him. Let him live. Let him live out. Let him move. Submit to him. Don't quench and grieve him. Obey him. He is here now, and he is here whenever it is now. Now, we are children of God. And John goes on, that's what we are right now in this world. And what we will be, the imminent, remember it means about to happen. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we do know this. We know that when he, Jesus Christ, appears, we shall be like him. For that's when we're going to see him as he is. So loved ones, listen to me. Listen to me. Be challenged. Be inspired by what John and Paul are teaching us here today. I I don't know what you are all facing in this physical life right now. I know it's probably difficult. I know it's probably fraught with a, a lot of relational difficulty, perhaps some financial difficulty, turmoil, some difficult decisions that have to be made. And I know mixed in with that that it's probably, there's probably a lot of emotional pain and even physical pain in some cases. And I know some of you feel misunderstood and maybe you feel like nobody cares. You might feel ashamed. You might feel alone. How do I know that? Because I feel or have felt every one of those things too at one, at one time or another. Listen, in light of all that, are you saved? Are you saved? Does the spirit of Christ dwell in you? If you have any doubt, any doubt whatsoever about those questions, go to God's word and respond to the gospel in faith. And if you need help to do that, come and see me. We'll do it together. I'll show you from the Bible. And folks, if you are saved and you just rock solid know it by the scriptures today, then listen. Believe this. Believe this right now. Whenever it is now. When is it now? It's now right now. It's now. God's presence is with you. His eyes are upon you. He's in you. That's what John says right now in this world that is in rebellion against God. God's presence dwells in you. You're a child of God. Hallelujah! you got to believe that. Believe it now. Because then, what you will be John writes what you will be you know there's a lot about eternity in heaven and the new earth that we don't know we don't understand but we do know this when Jesus appears we're going to be like him we're going to see him as he is like him like him no more sin no more self no more pain and suffering we're going to have a physical body that is fully in tune with all of physical and spiritual reality all of it it's going to be a resurrection body like Jesus Christ's resurrection body. We won't have to take spiritual truths by faith anymore because we'll be able to, to see it, to sense it, to know it by our fully awakened and whole body. It's going to be amazing. That's our hope. Now we have the presence of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And what we will be is going to be beyond amazing. Amazing. So let's move on to 1 John 3 and verse 3. Here we have it. Here's where we're, we're wrapping it up, the climax, and that is pure hope. Because John makes this point, everyone, every believer who has this hope that we're going to be like him when we see him as he is, everyone who has this hope in him does what? He purifies himself. Just as Christ is pure. It produces in us a desire to have a pure heart like the heart of our Lord and Savior. Remember purity? One thing present in a pure heart. What's that one thing? I want to know Christ. My thoughts are about Christ. My desires are about Christ. It's like David said in Psalm 27.4 a man after God's own heart, the scriptures describe him. Here's what he wrote. There's one thing, he said, that I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. One thing I'm after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Awesome. And David, he always had conflicting consequences as well. It wasn't an easy journey for him. Some of those consequences almost destroyed his life like they do ours. For in verse 5, the psalm goes on, Psalm 27, 5, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Folks, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he Jesus is pure how pure is your heart church are you falling victim to besetting addicting habitual sin sin that is quenching and grieving God's spirit within you is your heart divided or is your heart pure is there one thing one thought and one desire that you might know Christ and that one thing keeps your joy resilient in the midst of trials and that one thing keeps your love giving in spite of your pain and that one thing keeps your peace trusting in spite of the turmoil folks would you bow before the lord today and rededicate just let's just rededicate ourselves as individuals, and our church as a whole. Rededicate your heart and soul to him as the set-apart holy place. Your heart is that set-apart holy place. Your life is that set-apart holy place for his Holy Spirit to dwell. You are the house of God. Would you ask God to help you to rededicate your mind and your money and your minutes and your efforts to know Christ, because that, to know Christ, is the very reason that God saved you and me. He opened the way by the cross and the resurrection that you could know him, that you could grow in him, and that you could show him to the world. Let's pray together. Father, we covered a lot of ground today. Purity in heart comes about number six in the Sermon on the Mount. It comes after a lot of qualities, a lot of depth. And it's the pure in heart that shall see God. Father, help us to pursue that purity because so, we want to see you, we want to know you. We want to draw near to your spirit and power so that we can be the witnesses that Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, and we know that because he lives in me. He lives in us. And Father Paul spelled it out, one thing. He said, I'm not there yet, but one thing I do. I press on toward that goal for which God you called me heavenward. He pressed on toward the thing that you called him to. And that wasn't to be the missionary to the world. That was the outflow of the one thing. The one thing was to know Christ. And God said, this is how you're going to know me. You're going to obey me by taking the gospel all over the place. And Paul did it because he wanted to know Christ. And then, Father, we find out in 1 John how much you lavishly love us But when we receive that love and live in that love, it puts us at odds with the world. There are conflicting consequences of that. And, Father, we just need to embrace that, to live in the immediate and the imminent, immediate believing that right now your Spirit is within us, Speaking to us, desiring for us to hear his still small voice, desiring for us to know his power and his purpose. And then the imminent, it's about to happen that when we see him, we'll be like him. Every tear will be wiped away. It's going to be awesome. Father, in the meantime, Everyone who has that hope in him purifies himself. Purify your church. Purify this church's pastor. Purify our hearts together. Help us to forgive it needs to be forgiven of each other. Help us to draw near to each other instead of staying apart because we're afraid or we were hurt a long time ago. Help us to get over that stuff, not looking back like Paul said, but going forward to know Christ and if there are people we're at odds with may we, in in the name of Jesus Christ and our desire to know Him may we seek the forgiveness and unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace may we seek freedom in those relationships help us to love each other so the world would know who you are Thank you, Father, for speaking today. I, I pray even now that you continue to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us not just to put this aside and go on our merry way. And help us to think about you about about on this and to, to just uh, visit with your spirit on it and allow your, your will to be done in us. Give us humility and repentance in response to this. Help us to rededicate ourselves in devotion to that one thing, to knowing Christ. He's worth it. He's worthy of it. He is that one thing, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.